When you were a kid, and you thought about what the future of your life would look like, how many of you said to yourself, when I get older, I want to be mediocre. I want my life to be the very definition of average. I want my adult life to be, eh. How many of you said things like that? You did, of course, you did. But most people don't. <laughs> very few of you uh, thought that way, and why is that? Well, because that's not the way we think. That's not the way we think. We want to do great things with our lives. We want to do meaningful things with our lives. We want to do big things with our lives. In our story today, in Mark's gospel, there's a couple of guys who are exactly like us. They think the same way. They want to be great. And Jesus shows them how. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to look at verses 32 through 45. If you don't have your Bible, these verses will be on the screen. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. Verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you 
must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, what beautiful words you have given us. What powerful and profound words you have given us here in the scriptures. We are so grateful for them. What a gift they are. But most of all, Father, we thank you for the one to whom these words point us. We thank you for Jesus, the one who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his very life as a ransom for us. And Father, it's in, his, it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so today we come to the central passage of Mark's gospel This is what it's all about, our text today. It is the central teaching of Mark's gospel, and it is, in essence, the central teaching of Christianity. You need to get this. You need to get it. Because if you don't, you won't understand much else about Jesus or his religion. And I'm going to try to help you. This morning. The very first sin on this planet was the sin of desiring to be like God. That was the first sin. Now, you probably didn't wake up this morning saying, Today, I want to be like God. We don't think in those categories. We don't think in those categories, but we do want it. Nonetheless, we do want it. All of my kids, when they were young, I got three kids, and all of them did the same thing. Your kids probably did the same. You know, when they were young, they would, they would put on rock concerts in the living room. Y'all's kids ever do that? Put on rock concerts in the living room. You know, they get the hairbrush going. You know, they got the broom as the guitar. Uh, we don't talk about that. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Touchy subject, I apologize. But my kids, they, were, they loved to do that. Uh, they they loved to get out the karaoke machine uh, and, and, uh, and put on a rock concert for the family. But you know what they never pretended to be? They never pretended to be an audience member at the concert. They never said, Dad, Mom, you put on the show today. And we'll just sit and watch. They never did that. Not even once. No, you see, my wife and I were always the audience members. My kids were always the star of the show. And it's that way with all of us. Well, we don't want to give applause. We want to receive applause. We don't want to hold the spotlight. We want the spotlight on us. 
The famous philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said that what distinguishes man from the animals is not our ability to think, but our will to power, the drive to conquer, the desire to dominate. Our friends James and John are no different. Jesus has just predicted his suffering and death for the third time. And how does James and John think to respond? Hey, <laughs> can we have a throne? <laughs> right next to you. <laughs> when you come into your glory. Now look, hey, they weren't so presumptuous, presumptuous as to want the big throne. They knew that belonged to Jesus. Oh, but they wanted those medium-sized thrones right next to him. And notice that Jesus doesn't say that their desire for greatness is wrong or sin. He doesn't say that. He says that their desire for greatness is naive. He says, you don't know what you're asking for. You see, James and John don't really know what true greatness is or what true greatness looks like. And so, Jesus shows them. And he shows you and me too. Let's look at it together. Point number one in your outline in the bulletin is the way of greatness. The way of greatness. Let's look at verses 42 through 44 together. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Now, I don't have to convince anyone here this morning that the way the world, the way of the world, is to use greatness, things like power, wealth, authority, and influence. The world uses those things to crush others, to put others down. The Bible also tells us this. The Bible is filled with characters that as soon as they get any kind of power or influence, they use it to lord it over others. You and I, we see this thing, this kind of thing all the time. Politicians, CEOs, church leaders destroying people and doing everything in their power to cover up their sins so that they can hang on to their precious little thrones. Notice in this text that Jesus doesn't say to his disciples, it shouldn't be that way with you. He doesn't say, please don't act, that li act like that. Please. No, he doesn't say that, does he? No, he says, it will not be that way with you. It will not. Jesus is using power and authority here to protect 
rather than to destroy. To bless rather than crush. There is no place in Jesus' kingdom for the abuse of power and authority. No place. Inward-focused, self-serving greatness isn't noble or great. It's satanic. And it will not be tolerated in Jesus' kingdom. He will not tolerate it. But the sad reality is that there are many in this room today who have been pushed aside, abused, or crushed by great leaders. Great leaders in the world, and more tragically, by great leaders in the church. And if that is you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that happened to you. And I need to tell you this morning that if you've been hurt like that, that was satanic greatness, not true greatness, not Jesus' greatness that did that to you. It is not the way of our Lord, and I am sorry. And let me make this crystal clear, crystal clear to you today. Jesus has a special cup of wrath reserved for anyone who tramples on his sheep. You see, true greatness, Jesus' kind of greatness, doesn't push others down. It pulls others up. True greatness doesn't look to harm, but to protect True greatness doesn't look to enslave, it looks to set free. True greatness doesn't seek to be served, but to serve. True greatness is not at all concerned with self, but is totally consumed with neighbor, with others. But here is the only problem. The only problem. Does anyone in this room actually do that? <laughs> Show of hands. By Jesus' definition of greatness, let's be real. Could anyone here? Or anyone in the world, for that matter, be truly called great. I know that I can't. I can't. You and I are not continuously looking to serve. We are continuously looking to be served. You and I are not consumed with others. We're consumed with self. I know the first thing I thought of this morning when I opened my eyes was me. Myself, 
my family, what I want to do, what I got going on. My neighbor didn't even enter into the equation. No, you see, we are not great. We're not. But there is one who is. There is one who is. Which brings us to point number two in your outline. The man of greatness. The man of greatness. James and John have asked to sit to the right and left hands of Jesus when he comes into his glory. And Jesus doesn't say that there are no seats to his right and his left. No, he says those seats are already filled. Sorry, guys. Those seats are taken. What seats Is he referring to? Well, let's think together. What is the most glorious moment of Jesus' ministry? What is it? The time where his power, love, beauty, and glory shine the brightest. When will the full splendor of Jesus be revealed to the world? When will he come into his glory? Well, Jesus has alluded to it in verse 33. It will happen in just a few chapters from now in Mark's gospel. In chapter 15, Jesus will finally be crowned. And it will be with a crown of thorns. He will be robed in purple. And that robe will be soaked in his precious blood. He will be declared king of the Jews. In the most mocking and sarcastic fashion. And on his right and on his left will hang two thieves. Jesus is saying to James and John and to you and me that the seats we desire are already taken by two thieves. James and John had no idea what they were really asking for. You see, James and John operated on the same assumptions as the world does. They assumed that Jesus' glory would be his triumphant victory over the oppressive Roman Empire. They thought that the glory of Jesus would be the throne of Jerusalem and the overthrowing of Rome. They thought it was going to be a military victory. 
when Jesus would come into glory. But the greatness of Jesus is in its most glorious form and most beautiful display. Not when he conquers the Romans, but when he's crucified by the Romans. When he hangs helplessly on the cross to suffer for, serve, and save the ones he loves. That is true greatness. Which brings us to the absolute central verse of Mark's gospel, and some say the central verse of the entire Bible. In fact, many scholars will tell you that. It's Mark 10, verse 45. Verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You won't find a politician on a cross. You won't find a preacher on a cross. You won't find LeBron James or Tom Brady on a cross. You won't find any of the Kardashians on one either. You won't find Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos on a cross. You won't find your favorite Instagram influencer on a cross. You won't find Allah, Muhammad, or Buddha on a cross either. But you will find Jesus on one. Because only Jesus is great. Only Jesus is great. You and I, we are whatever the opposite of great is. We are self-consumed, self-centered, sinful rebels against our Creator. Yet our Creator is so great that He Himself entered the mess we made in order to save us. Jesus is the one and only great man. And what proves his greatness is not just that he had all glory and all power and that it came down to death. No, it's that he came all the way down. He came all the way down. You could not go lower than where Jesus went to save you. It is not possible for anyone to go that low. What do I mean? You might say, well, wait a minute. A whole bunch of folks died by Roman crucifixion. What's so special about Jesus' crucifixion? My friends, this was no mere death. Look at verse 38 with me. Verse 38. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. 
Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? The baptism Jesus is talking about here has nothing to do with water. He's using the first century meaning, which means to be engulfed, to be overwhelmed. And the cup Jesus refers to here is an allusion to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when the prophets spoke of the cup, it was referring to God's judgment and wrath. You see, there was a cup waiting for Jesus. Do you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? What did he pray for in the garden? What did he pray for? He said, Father, please, let this cup pass from me. If there is another way to redeem mankind, let me take that way. Jesus wasn't afraid of the Romans, folks. He was afraid of the cup. Jesus knows that God the Father is going to reach down into all of history and pull every drop of vile, disgusting, foul, demented sin out of humanity, out of you and out of me. And he's going to pour it all into a cup. And on the cross, the father is going to say to his son, drink. Drink. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, He who had no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus knew that this cup was waiting for him. And what were his final words to his father in the garden? Not my will, but your will be done. If this is what it takes to save them, let it be so. Let it be so. Jesus resolved to drink that cup down to the dregs. Every drop of vile wickedness this world has to offer, he resolved to drink it. For you. And for me. 
So no, this was no mere death. This wasn't your average crucifixion. This was an eternal hell. Condensed down, intensified into moments. Unimaginable depths of suffering that the most beautiful and glorious person in the universe plunged himself into for you and for me. He absorbed all of the punishment that we deserved so that there is now no more punishment left for us. None. There is no wrath left. No anger from the Father left. Jesus drank it all. And there's only left for you and me peace, joy, love, grace, mercy, and rest. And rest. Don't you see? The greatest of all became the slave of all. To bring us out of darkness into his glorious light. If you haven't noticed, my goal in this sermon has not been to show you four or five steps you can take to greatness. My goal has been to show you the staggering greatness of Jesus. And if you're new here with us today, that is my goal every single week. One of my favorite theologians, he said, Jesus is like a diamond. The most precious diamond that exists. There are many sides and facets to him, and every one of them are beautiful. And so my goal on Sunday mornings is to stand behind this pulpit and just show you the diamond. To show you the staggering beauty and greatness of Jesus. And it is that vision, that vision of our Savior, that will change you from the inside out. My goal is, in essence, worship. I just want to show you the Lamb who was slain so that we can join all of heaven together in glorious worship at his nail-scarred feet. My favorite chapter in the Bible is Revelation chapter 5. And the Apostle John writes this in Revelation 5. He says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. 
They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Let's give Jesus what he deserves this morning.